today we look at a historical psalm together. And it was just pointed out to me that this might be a little confusing. Psalm 105 does not have 78 verses. So this is in reference to Psalm 105 and Psalm 78. Uh, this morning we're going to do things a little bit differently than we normally do. Because if you've turned to either of these, especially Psalm 78... Um, you realize that it would be really difficult in the 45 minutes or so that we have left uh, to work through all of those verses together. Uh, it has 72 verses in Psalm 105, and, or Psalm 78, and Psalm 105 has 45 verses. So we're going to do things a little bit differently than normal. Most of the time we pick, we, we have a text in front of us and we walk through it verse by verse. We love to do it that way, um, but today we're going to work in chunks rather than verse by verse. We're going to look at some of the similarities between these two. We're going to look at some of the differences, and then we're going to wrap it all up later with why it even matters. So you're, we're going to be flipping back and forth. So I'm going to encourage you, if you've got one of those cool, what are these called? Bookmarks? Ribbon. That's the word I couldn't think of. If you've got a ribbon in your Bible... Put it on one, put your finger in the other, however you want to do it, because um, we're going to flip between Psalm 105 and Psalm 78 several times. I do want to read some of both. So let's start in Psalm 78, and we're just going to read through the first eight verses. Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to the Lord. Now just in your, in your Bible, hopefully you've got yours open with you, just kind of scan down through the rest of the the chapter, um, just very quickly, you'll see a lot of Israel's history recounted here. But there is a recounting of it according to a certain perspective, which we'll talk about a little bit more in just a moment. It deals with a lot of miraculous, glorious things that were done for the Israelites on behalf of the one true God. But Psalm 78 hits on their responses to it. Now flip to Psalm 105. Let's read the first 11 verses of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous work. 
Glory in His name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac. I lost my spot. His verse, verse 10, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So these Psalms, if you were to read them all the way through, they deal with very similar historical events in the past, in the nation of Israel. But they focus on really different things. In fact, if you read through all of Psalm 105, you'd see that the response of the Israelites really isn't even touched on. It's all, this is what the Lord has done for you. This is how he's delivered you out of the land. These are the things, and its perspective is different than Psalm 78. That's why this morning... I've titled the message, Perspective Matters. How you look at something, whether it's in the past or current or maybe even the future, how you look at it, what grid you see it through matters. Today's message, though, you can be assured, is not a three-step process of how you can elevate your mindset and get a better perspective so you can accomplish your goals. That's not what it is. I think you know us better than that. We don't do that kind of thing here. Instead, we want to see that there are deeper things going on in Psalm 105 and Psalm 78, and there are deeper things going on in you and me than just needing to fix our mindset. Psalm 78 emphasizes some specific reasons for its writing. So flip back there with me. Look at verse 6 and 7. That the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn. And arise and tell them to their children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments. That's the purpose of, of the writing there. Now let me ask moms and dads a question. And even... Um, grandparents, grandmas, grandpas, when you tell your kids stories of the past, sometimes it's just for pure entertainment purposes, right? But most of the time, I would venture to say that you tell them a story about your past to teach them something. So maybe you, you teach them or you tell them about some past event in your life where you messed up. You did something that you shouldn't have, and then all of the consequences that followed. And the point of you telling them that story is not to exalt the problem that you were in, but so that they would learn to not do it themselves, right? Similarly, if we tell them neat stories about our past, about how God did something amazing in a situation that we weren't really prepared for, we we didn't see it coming, we do that to teach them to trust the Lord. To count on God because he's faithful. Guys, one generation teaching the next generation has always been God's way. 
It's, it's always been. In fact, Deuteronomy is very clear in chapter 6. It says, teach them to your children always while you're standing up, sitting down, walking, doing your business. Teach them to the next generation. These two chapters, 78 and 105, they lay out almost identical reasons for their writing. If you want to, we've already read from Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 105, verse 45. That they, still talking about the next generation of people, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. So, the point of retelling history is so that the next generation might learn something, right? In particular, both of these psalms say that they might learn how to obey God and keep his commandments. Obey, keep his statutes and laws. Now, I I realize that I have a relatively young perspective on the world, but from what I can read and from what I see going on right now in our current culture, we seem more afraid of history than ever before. It's like we're scared to go back and see somebody do something wrong. And if they do, we find out they do some, have done something wrong in their past. It's over. We, we cut them off. We've canceled them. We don't do, we don't listen to them. Nothing they did means anything. We would rather deny, bury, erase, tear down, or cancel the parts of history that are maybe not the brightest, that deal with the hard things. This view is short-sighted and utterly ridiculous. That cannot be how we approach passing on information to the next generation. Now, to be sure, we don't promote the wrong things that people did in the past. We don't exalt their sin, their problems, their sinful behavior, even when it's people that we admired, even when it's people that we looked up to, and we have very recent evidence of that, even in the Christian community. But to ignore or erase parts of history that we don't like is a surefire way to repeat them. So, we read through these chapters, like Psalm 78, and I'd encourage you to do that later today. We read through them, and, and notice that this is a Jewish person writing about his own people. It's not like he's trying to defame or say bad stuff about some other people group. Like, this is his own people that he's talking about, his own history. And there's a reason, look at Psalm 78, verse 2. I think there's a reason why the author calls this dark history. I think partially it is because it's old, it's from of old. It's been around for a long time. But I think, too, it's, he, he refers to it dark for a reason. John Wesley said this of that phrase. Not that the words are necessarily hard to understand, but God's superior goodness the people's incredible ungratefulness and ignorance, despite such excellent teachings of God's word and works, are extraordinary and hard to be believed. It's hard to read the biblical account of everything that God did for the Israelites and see how they still acted sometimes, isn't it? We read these stories and we say, how could you be so blind? How can you forget so quickly? How could you be so dumb? 
Do those words ring in anybody else's ears about their own personal experience? Because they do in mine. Let me ask you a question. Two, actually. What is the purpose, or what was the purpose of the Passover? It's coming soon. We celebrate it each year. It's coming up soon this year. What's the purpose of it? The Jews were actually commanded, right? This wasn't like, if you get time, if if you're not doing anything else, think about this. No. Much of their religion, faith, was based around the Passover. They were commanded by God himself to observe and remember their incredible deliverance from Egypt. Commanded by God. They were supposed to recount all of the incredible, unprecedented events that led them to where they were, out of slavery. They were supposed to remember how they came to be where they were. And it was obvious in their history as they recounted this year after year, that it was only by the grace and mercy of the one true God, Jehovah. Were there parts of that story that you think they could just, wish they could just cut out and forget? I I think so. I mean, I can't imagine any Jew being proud of how quickly they turned on Moses after they left Egypt, right? Why did you lead us out here? We were better off being slaves. You let us out here to die. I mean, almost at the drop of a hat, they were ready to throw Moses right under the bus. I can't imagine any Jew being proud of the fact that their spirits just caved so quickly when they saw Pharaoh's army coming, when they started to get hungry, when they started to run out of water to drink. And despite of all of that, despite of those dark parts of their history, they were told, they were commanded to remember. Here's the other question. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? We're going to celebrate, partake of that together next week before our members meeting. What's the point of that? Why do we do that? Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. He says to remember the Lord's death until he comes again. To remember. The point of the Passover is to remember. The point of the Lord's Supper is to remember. Is thinking about what happened on the cross unpleasant? It is. It really is. Do we reflect on the brutal torture of the Son of God with happy smiles on our faces? Not usually. No. I've never seen or heard of anyone who watched the movie The Passion of the Christ stand up and clap at the end or at least at the crucifixion scene, those things are hard to think about. They are hard to remember. But brothers and sisters, friends, we are commanded to remember. We are instructed to do that. So again, whether we're looking at thinking about our own personal history, whether we're looking at the history of this church, whether we're looking at the history of our nation or just the human race in general, we don't look at the parts of it in order to celebrate the dark parts of it, in order to celebrate them, we look at them to remember God's deliverance and how to keep his commands. That's why we're called to remember. We remember the past and we teach the coming generation about it, even the the unsavory aspects of our past, so that the next generation, as Psalm 78, 7 says, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God like their fathers did, but keep his commands. 
That's why we tell history. That's why perspective matters. And this is why I think historical psalms still serve the church and believers really well today. Look back at Psalm 105. The first five verses in particular. Just glance at those with me. Psalm 105. Notice something here right at the beginning. Every phrase in these verses is a command. Every phrase. So he says, give, call, make known, sing, tell, glory, seek, search, remember. These things are all commands. Why? Why should we give thanks to the Lord? Why should we sing to him? Why should we glory in his name? Why should we seek his presence continually? Because of the rest of the chapter. Because of verses 7 through 45. Because he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Verse 7 in the beginning of 8 say. Believers, we give thanks We sing to, we glorify, we seek, and we remember the Lord because he remembers us. God remembers the covenant promise that he made to his people. That's why we sing. That's why we seek. That's why we pray to. That's why we obey. Psalm 105 is almost like a synopsis of the history of Israel, kind of like an Israelite history book. And really it outlines how God kept his promises to all of these Jewish forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. How God answered and kept his promise to all of these guys. So if God requires us to remember his works, you can be sure that he remembers his promises too. He never forgets them. I read this this week, I thought was interesting. From Abraham to Christ, there are 45 generations. But God's promises last beyond the years that just those forefathers would have lasted. He says here, a thousand generations. A thousand. Now obviously the intent here in this poetic piece of writing is to say that they last forever. They never end. A thousand generations, they they never end. But you know what? We can say that, and I hope we do say that, and I hope we believe that, but we can hear it, and then we can begin to see how much time it takes for some of our prayers to be answered. And we can be praying for God's faithfulness to come through and shine forth in certain situations, and they don't turn out how we would expect, and we could begin to doubt and lose faith. A thousand generations, maybe he is skipping a mine maybe we think. But look at how the psalmist remembers Joseph's story in verses 16 through 22 of Psalm 105. Not only did Joseph accomplish God's will, but guess what else did? And the psalmist points it out. The famine, the famine that struck the land accomplished God's will. Commentator Horn says this, famine is represented in these verses as a servant ready to come and go at the call and command of God. Calamities, whether public or private, are the messengers of divine justice. Joseph, this verse says, was sent out ahead of them. 
as a fulfillment of God's promise to sustain his people. But do you think that Joseph saw it that way when his brothers beat him and threw him in a pit? When they sold him into slavery? When they lied to his parents, his family, and his friends and told them he was dead for over two decades? Do you think Joseph is in prison for years thinking, boy, God, you've really got me set up well here. I can see your faithfulness immediately right now. Now, maybe there were glimpses of that. But I don't know that Joseph saw the promises of God being fulfilled, as it says in verse 18, that when his feet were hurt with fetters and his neck put in a collar of iron... Did he understand God's ways being separated from his family for 24 years while they thought he was dead? No, probably not. But God's purposes and promises were being fulfilled and answered in ways that nobody else saw coming. God's faithfulness endured. Do you think the Israelites experienced God's promises being fulfilled during the centuries of slavery in Egypt? when they were having children and grandchildren and they knew from the moment that they were born there was nothing more for them in life but to build bricks for the Egyptians? Not a lot of hope there. But they began to see it when God called two ordinary dudes to lead them. Ordinary guys. Here's a side note that I just want to slip in here. God sent Moses and Aaron as his servants to accomplish his purposes, but he didn't pick them because of their own natural ability. He didn't pick them because they finally gave in to what he said he was going to do with them. They resisted, didn't they? God picked Moses and Aaron simply because he chose them. He decided to set his affection on them and use them to lead his people out. The Lord continually taught his people, and he still teaches his people today, that victories don't come from military strength. They don't come from really creative planning, and they don't come from pragmatic programming. Deliverance and victory come from the one true God and Him alone. Just ask Joshua. Just ask Gideon. Just ask Samson, Moses, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. These guys would tell you that it's God and God alone. God reminded the Israelites through these people and just through their history that they were brought into a covenant relationship with Him, not on account of their own merit or worth, but solely by His own free sovereign choice and abounding grace to them. God's faithfulness endured. And if our perspective of history is just to blot out the disobedient and rebellious parts of it, then we're going to begin to forget what God brought us through in the first place. Again, we don't exalt wickedness or wish to copy it, but we do need to learn from it. In fact, Psalm 78 verse 8 lists that very thing as a secondary reason for its writing, for having a full-view perspective of, a, of the past, to not repeat the same things that their fathers had done. 
that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Our perspective includes all of history so that we don't make the same mistakes. What a Look back at Psalm 78 if you're not already there. I'm going to quickly read through some verses here. Starting in verse 10. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders that He had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, He performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, and made the waters stand out like a heap. In the daytime, He led them with a cloud, and at night, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread to provide or provide meat for his people? Verse 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet, that's a big word here. Yet, He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they ate and were well filled. For he gave them what they craved." But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. Do, we, do you see what's happening? How the perspective of the psalmist in Psalm 78 differs from 105? Here, he's recounting the wonderful deeds of the Lord, but he's including Israel's response into it. He's including some of these dark moments of their past. Even while the food was still in their mouths, they began to grumble against the Lord. What a sad and dark part of their history. And yet the author, as we just read, went on to say how even though God opened up the heavens and literally rained down food for them, they still rebelled. They did not, as verse 22 says, they did not believe him or trust his saving power. But when we read through Psalm 105, we don't get all of that, do we? We don't see that perspective. When the psalmist in Psalm 105, verse 40 and 42, he talks about the time in the wilderness, he mentions the quail and he mentions the manna and he mentions the water that sprang out of the rock that was struck. He points all back to the Lord for remembering his promise. But in Psalm 78, the story focuses not just on God's power, but on the wrong actions and response of the people. Think about this with me. 
By remembering these dark parts of Israel's past, does the author of Psalm 78 exalt their disobedience? No chance you can read this and think that. Here's another question. By remembering God's faithfulness and power, does the author of Psalm 105 bury his head in the sand about the truth that happened in their past? No. He doesn't at all. These are both, both of these psalms, these accounts, are historically accurate descriptions of really what happened. And even though they're written from differing perspectives, we need them both. We need to see them and understand and remember. Another commentator, William Plumer, says that we should be greatly affected by a review and recollection of God's mercies to our ancestors. We should be moved by remembering God's faithfulness in the past, how he provided, how he had mercy on us and delivered us. May that be the cause of worship and praise today from our hearts. But you know what? We need reminders. We need to be reminded of our own selfishness and pride, how it hurts us and how it hurts people around us, how pushing God out of our history has real consequences in real life. We need to be reminded of that. May that cause humility and brokenness in us today. I hope you've heard it enough this morning, but I'll say it again. God's faithfulness endures. Through every generation, despite the rebellious nature of the Israelites, despite the overwhelming odds God cared for and increased his people. Even in the captivity in Egypt, they grew faster than the Egyptians did, their people did. This was God's gifts to them. And that was all just under the old covenant. Plumer again says, How much more then shall the new covenant bring blessings to all believers through God's unspeakable love to Jesus Christ, whom he has given as a covenant to his people. Think about that. If God protected his chosen people throughout their history, he's not going to forget them now. But we cannot believe that we will never face trials or difficulties as his people. In fact, Peter and James both tell us to expect trials. And Peter goes so far as to tell us to actually rejoice in them. What a thing to say. He says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So not only do we expect trials, we rejoice in them, but we continue to do good in the midst of them. Is it possible to see our trials as God's grace? Is it possible? Yes. Is it easy? No. But Psalm 105, I think, includes Joseph's story for a reason. God's ways are indeed very strange, but they are all holy and unfallibly wise. God reveals the future to Joseph in a dream. He tells his dream to his brothers and they envy him. They doom him to death, but God touches their hearts and they let him live instead of kill him. To Egypt he goes in the hands of the Midianites. So soon he is locked up in prison, loaded down with chains There he lies, long, long years, and yet every step is towards deliverance 
and exaltation, why are we so slow to trust an infinite God? Another commentator says, we greatly mistake if we do not rank afflictions among God's mercies. God's faithfulness endures. We see it with joy as we remember good times. And we rejoice as we should when we remember that. We see God's faithfulness sometimes with pain when we remember the hard times. And we're humbled as we ought to be. Each perspective of history is needed and useful for us as we move forward is useful for the next generation and the children of the next generation. To ignore or forget one side of history for the sake of the other is going to lead us to either ungratefulness or despair. What hard part of your history is God using to humble you right now? What pleasant part of your story is God using to motivate you to worship? God uses them both. We need them both. What does a fuller view of the past do for us as we wrap up this morning? What does it do for us? Why does it matter? Well, last week we talked about how understanding and remembering history leads to worship. It leads to praise. We see that in especially Psalm 105. Remembrance leads to worship. And from these two chapters that we looked at this morning, there's something else that understanding and remembering history, what it does for the, for the believer. Look back at Psalm 105, verse 45, and Psalm 78, verse 7. 105, verse 45, that we, God's people, they, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Psalm 78 Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Whether it's an unpleasant lesson to learn or not, God's command to remember is designed to lead us to holiness. Understanding and remembering history will lead us to holiness, to keep his commands. How many times do we have to make the same mistake Maybe we don't learn because we so quickly forget. Because we push aside the hard parts of the past and only hold on to the good. Maybe that's why we forget. Maybe that's why it takes so long for us to learn. Or maybe we just don't learn because of our pride. Maybe we don't learn the lessons that we're supposed to because of our arrogance. God's faithfulness endures. God keeps his promises. Your perspective of history leads to either forgetfulness or worship. And it will lead to either depravity or holiness. How you view the past. May God use his word to lead us in righteousness and truth away from the lies of the enemy. Lastly, if the people of God, the church, if we recounted on the hard and the good times of our history more fully, imagine the impact that it would have on future generations. Your testimony of God's faithfulness encourages me 
to trust him more. Your testimony of God's discipline in your life and the hard times that you've gone through challenges me to turn away from sin so that I might not fall into it as well. If our time is spent retelling God's movement throughout history more, if more of our time was spent doing that, I think future generations would be better prepared with how to resist temptation, how to obey God in the face of it, how to credit the Lord for his work, and how to more easily defend our faith, defend what they believe. When they have a fuller view of history, that will happen. But if you haven't put your faith in Christ alone, you currently have the same mindset that was being described in Psalm 78. You've received God's incredible blessings in your lives, but you don't recognize them for what they are. For whatever reason, like the Israelites, even though they they hardly had to step out of their tent to get breakfast, they still rebelled. And even though we wake up and we breathe God's air into a home that God provided, put food into our mouths that God gave us, sometimes we still don't see it for what it is. And if you've not put your faith in Christ today, that's you. Sometimes even you prefer to forget the Lord in this or ignore him because you want to be in charge. That's the bent of our nature, to be in control. But that doesn't work for very long. And I think we all recognize that. When we're the ones in charge, at some point in the not-too-distant future, things start crashing down. The world spins out of control, and we look around and we say, I can't do this anymore. And you're faced with a choice. Where do you turn? The answers that the world would provide, or do you turn to the Savior? Christianity, believing in Jesus, is not a crutch. You maybe have heard people say that before. I disagree. It's not a crutch. It's simply an admission of what is true for every human being. We need to be rescued. We need to be saved. Believing in Christ, putting our faith in him, submitting to his authority is just the outworking of that recognition and admission. I can't fix myself. Somebody better, more powerful, in fact, perfect, needs to, and Jesus fulfills that perfectly. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can do it because he lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death, and then he was raised to eternal life, and he wants to include you in that process. If you've not put your faith in Christ, I'd encourage you to cry out to him today. I'll be standing up here as we sing our last song. If you want to come down and talk, I'd be happy to talk with you. You can grab me after and we can go somewhere else and chat or get hold of me this week. But brothers and sisters, as we think about what's happening, not only in our culture and world today, but what happened a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, 2000 years ago, may we have both perspectives because we need them both. We need a clear picture of our wretchedness, of the sin of mankind, but we need a clear picture of God's faithfulness, and they're both found in Jesus and contained in his word. Let's pray together. 
Father, I pray that if any are here this morning and they don't know your son personally, number one, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to them. Convince them they're not okay. They're not okay trying to do this on their own. Because if they are, Lord, I just got to believe that they're exhausted by that. It is exhausting to try to be God. And yet so many of us attempt it for so long. Lord, deliver us from that today. Forgive us for it and help us to turn away from it and to set our eyes not on ourselves, not on the righteousness that we have in our own, but on yours, the perfect righteousness of Christ that we have through a relationship with Jesus. Grant repentance today where needed, Lord. Help us to see you in the right perspective. In Christ's name I pray, amen.